Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A Living History Production. This is the Living History Podcast, broadcasting live across the airwaves. Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of Living History. We are out and about exploring artefacts connected with military history, which is always one of the most exciting things that I do. I'm here with Brad Manera from the Anzac Memorial in Hyde Park in Sydney, and Brad, we're standing in front of... A gun. It looks naval. It looks roughly First World War era. Firstly, welcome onto the program. Secondly, what are we looking at? Thanks, Matt. That's worryingly perceptive of you. Uh, yes, the uh, the grey is a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? I mean, we are on probably one of the busiest uh, intersections in Sydney, and thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps millions of people pass this gun on a weekly basis. Uh, how many of them stop? And yet it's an extraordinary monument. Um, it's it's a gun, you're right. It's a 10.5-centimetre uh, German naval gun. It was recovered from the wreck of the German light cruiser Emden in January, February of 1915. On the 9th of November 1914, the Australians were off to the Great War. Our convoy had left Albany and uh, troop ships packed with infantry soldiers, defenceless troop ships, and halfway across the Indian Ocean, as they're passing within steaming distance of Cocos Keeling Islands, the telegraph officer on the island sees a warship entering the lagoon and he telegraphs the convoy saying unidentified warship approaching. Can I just ask a question here? The idea that there were German ships even in this part of the world at this stage, I mean, I don't think that's something most people would even think about. But wasn't the war off in Europe? What was what was even happening in this part of the world? It's, it's extraordinary how much the world has changed in the last hundred years. Um, you know, during the First World War, the world was run from Europe. The great empires were seeking colonies. And Germany, uh, having united in 1871, joined the race for colonies. And uh, so they one of their richest colonies was China. Uh, well, it wasn't a colony. It was uh, mining concessions and ports in, in China. Uh, their colonial holdings were a number of island groups in the Pacific, and that included the northern part of eastern New Guinea, then known as German New Guinea, as well as a number of islands um, in the Solomons. And so very close to Australia. We were immediately concerned when Australia promised to go to war beside Britain against the Germans in August 1914 and then realised that we had German colonial assets on our doorstep. 
Uh, we took them out in September 1914 uh, with a, an emergency force called the Australian Naval and Military Expeditionary Force. But the big question mark in the Pacific was the unknown uh, whereabouts of the German Pacific Fleet that had been based in Tsingtao in China. Uh, they took to sea after the declaration of war and scattered. The bulk of the fleet kept together and headed for South America, but uh, Carl von Müller, in command of the Emden, was a bit of a lone wolf, and he just took off on his own and over the next two months just ripped his way through the uh, Indian and South Pacific Oceans. He sank a Russian cruiser, he sank a French destroyer, sent 15 merchant vessels to the bottom and captured three colliers. You know, he became a legend within two months of the outbreak of the war. And so Emden became a great terror in our part of the world. And we know we've got to ship our soldiers to join the war. And so the convoy had to be escorted. And the principal escort was uh, the was was the, were the Australian cruisers Melbourne and Sydney and the Japanese cruiser Ibuki, so they're escorting our relatively defenceless troop ships across the Indian Ocean when they get this call from Cocos Islands, unknown warship, and of course because of the fear of Emden, where's she going to pop up? They thought they better send somebody, dispatch somebody from the convoy to check this out. Um, the Japanese were infuriated that it wasn't them. Uh, they were on the wrong side of the convoy. The closest vessel was HMAS Sydney. And uh, Sydney was commanded by Captain John Glossop, a, a Royal Naval officer on detachment to RAN, and he took his vessel in. Uh, of course, he was expecting Emden, or thought there was a pretty reasonable chance it was going to be Emden. He had a great deal of confidence in his vessel. He was armed with six-inch guns. You know, he can throw a shell, a massive shell, almost 14 kilometres, and he knows that Emden's a light cruiser. She's only got, in British language, four-inch guns. Germans, 10.4, 10.5 centimetre guns. Now, they've got a range, he reckons, about eight and a half k's. So he... And his gunnery officer, and if we look at this monument, you can see the names of the officers on board Sydney recorded on the monument. And um, Dennis Rahili, three names down, is his gunnery officer. Glossop, Rahili, Emden's under full steam. They're on the bridge talking to each other. How close can they get and take out Emden without any damage to Sydney? Rahili tells him, look, you can get to within nine and a half k's of Emden and she can't touch us. So Glossop's bags of confidence calls his ship to action stations. They're, they're under full steam. Emden sends a crew ashore to destroy the telegraph station when they spot the, the smokestacks of Sydney on the horizon. They take off without picking up their shore team, and that's a totally different story. But Glossop calls his ship to action, and they go out to engage Sydney. He knows as soon as he's got visuals on Sydney, she's much better armed than he is. He cannot believe that Glossop lets him within gun range. And when we look at this gun, this 10.4 centimetre gun, that should only have had a range of about 8 k's, we can see that it's on a very unique mount, brand new to the German Navy, these, um, these pedestal mounts. And they've given that gun an extra 1,000 yards range that Glossop and Rahili don't know about. And so... With all the confidence in the world, Sydney's steaming up and Emden opens up on her at that range and just peppers Sydney. The Emden crew 
have got a heap of war experience under their belt already. Sydney's under fire for the first time. And so Sydney takes 16 casualties in those first couple of salvos from Emden. Four of them die of wounds. The other 12 are badly, badly injured. And they're the only hits that Sydney takes during the action. From then on, Glossop realises, stay out of range and just pound Emden. And he proceeds to do that for the next... 50 minutes, um, and Emden is just shot to pieces. She tries to escape, tries to get in close enough, uh, and Sydney just keeps hitting her, sets her on fire, really does a great deal of damage to that vessel. Everybody on board is dead or injured. Um, she's going to go down. There is no doubt about it. And so as a result, Muller knows that he's got 136 badly wounded, badly burnt sailors on his ship. And she's, she's headed for the bottom. And so he runs her back to the islands and uh, hits a reef. He can see a reef in front of him and he runs the vessel up on that reef to, uh, so to prevent the vessel from sinking because he's, his decks are covered with badly, badly wounded sailors. And if they've got any chance of survival, he's got to keep that ship above the water. And, so, and he does that effectively. Sydney thinks that there's a risk of Emden having some support, so she doesn't immediately go to the aid of the of the wreck, goes off in search of uh, Emden's support vessel. It, uh, it finds that Emden is unsupported and so returns, and that's when we see two more names on this monument, uh, Len Darby and Arthur Todd, the two surgeons, 25 and 26 years of age. Um, these two kids, again, first time having to apply their surgical skills and what they've got in front of them is 12 wounded Australians and 136 badly burnt, badly wounded German sailors and very rudimentary tools. It's extraordinary that they are able to save anybody but they do a remarkable job um, saving the lives of these German sailors and getting them back and they end up at Holdsworthy and eventually Trial Bay and Burke. So, uh, you know, a remarkable, a remarkable story. But when we look at this gun, it was recovered from the wreck in early 1915 by HMS Cadmus, a, a, a Royal Naval supply ship, and brought here to Sydney because that vessel is named for this city, uh, the first ship that Australia owned that bore the name of this town. So it's a really important memorial to us, to obviously the, uh, the four Australian and Royal Naval personnel who died on that vessel, the gallantry of the crew, but also it's a silent memorial to those German sailors that died so gallantly in Australia's first naval victory of the Great War. And you can see real damage on this gun. With the laying gear, the, uh, the wheel has been sliced through cleanly as if done by a gas axe. In fact, it was done by a piece of shrapnel from one of Sydney's shells. And the man standing beside, behind that, the only survivor of that gun crew, was a bosun's mate named Joseph Rosinski. Rosinski had his left arm sliced off. He applied a tourniquet and went back to his gun. You know, his actions were seen by a member of Emden's crew, uh, a, a crown prince of the Hohenzollern family, who was amazed and, and could not stop writing about the gallantry of this sailor, De his dead mates blown to pieces around him, his, his arm hanging in tatters, stopping himself from bleeding to death with a, uh, 
uh, with a tourniquet, but still fighting his gun. You know, it, it's a remarkable story. And he was blown overboard in the, uh, in the last shots of the action, swam ashore to one of the islands and was recovered. But how tough was this bloke? He, he recovered, was patched up by, by uh, Darby and Todd and then returned to and spent the rest of the war in Australia as a prisoner. I believe his descendants are still alive, living in South Africa. So uh, a remarkable piece of Australian naval history, and it was unveiled here in December of 1917 by Glossop, who by that stage was on a shore posting, and he unveiled this gun as part of the campaign to encourage Australians to vote for conscription during the First World War. So there's a political backstory to this remarkable object. Not only a a monument to our first naval victory of the brand new Royal Australian Navy, uh, a tribute to gallant sailors in 1914, but also a little bit of politics in domestic Australia back in 1917. Brad, I, I can't help but notice the position of this memorial on the corner of one of the busiest intersections in Sydney. It's it's mere steps away from, I know that the Anzac Memorial wasn't there when the gun was unveiled, but the, they obviously in, intended this, you know, some sort of wonderful memorial here. The, the story of the Sydney and Emden has sort of slipped through the cracks of history a little bit, but really it deserves to be much better known, doesn't it? I mean, the, the first naval victory, the, obviously when they put this gun here, it was a triumph, a celebration to, to celebrate this great victory. Was it a story that was known and loved during the time of the war and in the post-war years and, and has fallen through the cracks of history a little bit? Yeah, history's a, a challenge, isn't it? I mean, how, you, you can't remember everything. Um, and I suppose when you've got battles like those in Belgium in the second half of 1917, where 38,000 members of the AIF are killed or injured in a matter of four months, the fact that four dead and 12 wounded in our first naval victory, as you say, can tend to be overlooked. You know, 26,000 casualties on the Somme in a, in a few, in a matter of months in 1916. Um, so the, the, the story in general of the Royal Australian Navy in the Great War, I think, has been overlooked. And, um, you know, I mean, Sydney goes on uh, later in the war to fight the first sea-to-air battle in world history, when the Sydney takes on a Zeppelin. Um, so, you know, the, Sydney also ends up launching um, a, a biplane. Uh, so there's a whole range of firsts for the Royal Australian Navy and for this ship in particular. And so, uh, yeah, as you say, uh, remembering that um, is probably has, has, has fallen to uh, a few enthusiasts rather than to to the general public. Um, but, you know, here in Hyde Park, it's on Sydney's doorstep. we just got to encourage people to look around this town. We're telling this amazing story, this, this incredible chapter of history, but we're telling it because there's an artefact here. I mean, as a, as a curator of museums, as a, as a historian yourself, does this speak to you about why it's important to preserve artifacts? I mean, this we wouldn't be telling this story if we were sitting in a library in front of a dusty book. There's a there's an object here that we can look at and see the damage done to it. Is this a great example of why we need to preserve these historic artifacts? 
Oh, look, I think that's a very uh, astute comment. I mean, the um, Wes Olsen has written a very, very fine book on the uh, on the Sydney Emden fight uh, and on the history of the, the Cormoran. Uh, just came out last year. So, um, and and archival research, extraordinary archival research. Um, and but as you as you say, um, I hope people read it. But the uh, I can't help but feel that Wes was inspired by artifacts just like this and um, and the sort of um, the two guns, one from Sydney, one from Emden, that are on display at the Australian War Memorial. So I think objects like this bookend that sort of archival research. And so if walking past this object encourages people to read a little or if reading the book encourages people to visit this artefact, I think it's really going to work well together. Well, Brad, it's been a fascinating account of what is a fascinating chapter of the First World War that is probably unknown to most people. Mate, just thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about it. My pleasure, Matt. Good luck. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.